This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And we are welcoming you to week five of our series, He Gave Us Stories, which is based on the parables of Jesus. Uh, and this week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter seven, looking at the parable of the two builders, the wise builder. Seems to have different names depending on what headers your Bible uses. <laughs> mm. um, the, but it's a parable about where are you going to build your house? There's a wise builder, there's a foolish builder, uh, and Jesus is contrasting two different types of people. But before we get into that, uh, there's two items I wanted to bring up. One was, Sam, we had uh, last uh, podcast, I talked about the sermon series that Pastor Tom had preached a number of years ago called Leverage Your Life. And uh, turns out it was preached in October of 2011 that far back. And that's before we had cameras at church. So that was not recorded, video recorded. And of course, our sermon library now today is only the sermons since we started recording them uh, with video cameras. So it's only the ones we have video of. But we do have an audio only podcast that is on Apple Podcasts, and it's on Spotify, uh, and on Google Podcasts, same place that Out of Water is. And that's just the, it's the Rio Vista Community Church podcast and it's sermons that go all the way back to 2009. So somebody emailed me to ask about finding that sermon. And if you're also interested in finding the sermon or if you tried to and gave up because it wasn't on the website, all that I had to do to bring them up was I went to Spotify. In this case, I use Spotify. I clicked on the search function and I typed in Rio Vista leverage your life. And those five words was enough that when I searched for that, it pulled up just those four podcast entries. Um, and I was able to then listen to any of those sermons that you'd want to. So if you were interested in the leverage your life sermon series, if, uh, uh, if you heard us talking about that last week and you thought, I'd like to hear that message series by pastor Tom, you can find it in the audio only podcast, which is available again on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Um, and it's just there as Rio Vista Community Church. You can find that podcast there. So um, the second thing that I wanted to do before we jumped into this podcast was, uh, Sam, to ask you maybe to kind of give us some context of what's going on here. Uh, uh, Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount, and he kind of runs through a series of um, <clears throat> illustrations and parables and stuff before mm-hmm. he gets to this one. What is Jesus saying and, and what is he getting at here? And kind of set the stage a little bit before we get into this particular parable. Sure. If you if you go into the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 are all the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you open your Bible, they're all red words. Um, and what he's done is he's laid out a whole series of teachings, starting with the Beatitudes, and he ends with this parable that we're going to talk about today. And this parable that he talks about today is going to begin, uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. We'll get further into that. But he's saying, okay, so I've just preached this sermon to the crowds. And he's saying, okay, if you hear these words of mine and you do them, you're like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And so he's looking back at the previous three chapters of his sermon and encouraging us to hear them, but also to live them out. And so that creates a lot of questions, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> because yeah. this, the Sermon on the Mount, if you read it, um, you know, if you're raised up in the church, you hear Sermon on the Mount, and you think, oh, this is, a, this is a really nice sermon that's telling us how to treat one another. But if you really dissect the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of gut punches in there where you go, oof. Yeah. You know, and when you hear Jesus saying, "I want you to to do these words," um, it's challenging. So it's we're going to look at some context of what Jesus is actually calling us to do um, 
Otherwise, it can come across like he's calling us into works-based salvation. Yeah. Um, and I do think that is something that uh, anytime you start talking about doing his word or putting his word into practice or keeping his commandments, mm-hmm. um, I think that people immediately, the specter of salvation by works raises its head and people mm-hmm. are, and people understandably get nervous about that. They don't want to confuse people by talking about that, but we're not talking here you know, you and I aren't going to sit down in front of somebody who's not yet a believer, who doesn't who doesn't really know anything about Jesus. Who's you know, it's a whole new conversation to them. We're not going to sit down and say, okay, now after you just make a decision about whether you know about who Jesus is and about what He's done for you and all this sort of stuff, we want to let you know. Here's all these things that are going to affect you afterwards. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not this isn't the place that you have that kind of conversation. However. There is an expected reaction that people mm-hmm. should have to a saving faith, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It should not leave you. We've said this before. We said it last week. We said it the week before, and I think the week before that. It should not leave you unchanged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you're, you're going to move in the direction of carrying out his commands because you love him. You're not doing the commands in order to get his love, you're doing them because you have his love. Right. And so the way that the Sermon on the Mount is, and I want everybody to pause, and I want you to, here comes your spiritual inventory, right? Like if you think you can earn God's favor by your own efforts, just the Sermon on the Mount, I want to list out all the things that Jesus calls us to. And I want you to kind of take spiritual inventory and grade yourself and see if you could possibly earn your salvation. You ready? Because this this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is challenging. All right, so I'm going to start with the Beatitudes, and we're going to walk down and grade yourself. Tell me, how many of these can you say, oh, yeah, that's me? You recognize your poverty of spirit before God. You mourn over your sin. You're meek, and you're humble before God and others. You hunger, and you thirst for righteousness. You're merciful to others. You're seeking to become pure in heart. You're eager to make peace with God and one another. You're willing to endure persecution for his namesake. How you doing so far? <laughs> some some just, days, sometimes okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're just through the Beatitudes. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. If, if, you've com- if you've been angry toward your brother, it's an equivalence of murder. If you lust after another person, you're an adulterer. Honesty is not conditional upon oaths. You keep your marriage vows. You do not divorce unless it's permissible by Scripture standards. You don't retaliate against those who wrong you. You love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. You give to the needy, but you give in secret. You pray, but you pray in secret. You fast, but you fast in secret. You don't seek more than your daily bread. You seek only your daily bread. You don't store up your treasures in this world because you store up hope of treasures in heaven. You don't allow money or other things in this world to master you. You're not anxious about tomorrow. You prioritize God's kingdom and his righteousness above every other thing in your life. You don't judge others. You avoid hypocrisy when instructing others. You treat everybody else like you would like to be treated. And you walk through the narrow gate. You walk along the narrow path. You put all of his words into practice. You seek to know God first and foremost above all else. And get this, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How you doing? <laughs> um, I'm pretty much uh, like an ofer most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so when this sermon starts and it's Jesus saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, I'm going, oh, <laughs> I am not going to be this wise man. But one of the brilliant things about the way that this starts is he, he right before he jumps into this parable the last the last little picture that he gives you and it's it's a challenging passage is right before we jump into this parable he says not everyone who says to me lord lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven and he says on that day meaning the day of judgment when when you stand before the lord when we stand before the lord he says many will say to me on that day Lord, Lord, and then this is chilling, you know, for, for somebody who's in ministry. This is a gut check. He says, they say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we do 
not do mighty works, miracles in your name. And so these people are coming up and they're showing the resume of ministry, right? Right. Hey, man, I've been preaching the word. Right. I, I have a spiritual gift to cast out demons, for Pete's sake. I, I, I've been doing miracles. And it says, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. And that depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, and you're left going, wait a minute. These these are people who are really, really high up in ministry. Look at the stuff they're doing. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Yeah. And that is what Jesus is. That's the great clue is you can do and you can do and you can think, man, I'm in ministry. You know, God's lucky to have me and, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. Look at my accolades and look at all the stuff I decorate my life with. This is real. And yet be really far from God, and you never pray, and you don't draw near to him, and you don't find him beautiful. You don't find him all satisfying. He's not the centerpiece of your life. All those decorations are meaningless unless you have him, and you know him, and he knows you. And so it's coming out of that teaching that he then launches into this parable about the builders. And so you got to know that. The great thing that he's looking for is relationship. Right. And if you're, you know, and we have to try to imagine, you know, the with our spiritual eyes, if you will, but that, that spiritual imagination. In that moment that we're standing in front of him and he's saying, tell me why I should let you in. You know, you have that chance to speak. These guys immediately went to, here's all the things that I did for you. Mm-hmm. And if, if his answer to, if his question to me is, why should I let you in? The only answer that I have is, I don't deserve to be there. You shouldn't, you know, and for some reason I don't understand. You've called me to be yours. You know, you mm-hmm. died for me. You've called me. You've made me clean. You've done that for me, and yeah. I don't understand why, but that's the only reason, man, <laughs> that I get to come through the door. It's got nothing to do with the things that I've done. So yeah. if your if your first impulse, if you know, if you imagine yourself standing before the judgment of you know that that pearly gates kind of thing and that judgment and when jesus says to you why should i let you in if your answer the first thing that occurs to you is well i did the best i could or you know hey i've been serving you faithfully in church for all these years if that's the thing that comes to mind immediately it's a it's a it's a time to check yourself Mm -hmm. um because the answer that these guys have which is we've done many mighty works in your name and jesus said I didn't know you. I don't know you. So, so I mean, like you said, you don't go before the throne pleading that you've done the work of fulfilling <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount. You go before the throne in awe that he has fulfilled the Sermon on the Mount for you. Right. You're pleading his righteousness and his mercy, not your own. Um and by the way, he is the one who fulfills it. And now you receive all the righteousness. You, you're by faith. The grace then overwhelms, and God clothes you in His righteousness because He did carry out all the elements of the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. Right. And He dresses you in that righteousness when you know Him by faith and surrender right. to Him. Yeah. When you start going through the Sermon on the Mount and and looking at it that way, hey, let's ask, instead of making it a, a, a checklist, you start asking it as questions. You know, who was the salt of the earth? Jesus. Mm-hmm. Who was the light of the world? Jesus. Mm-hmm. Who didn't, you know, hate his brother or, or Jesus? Who didn't look at a, somebody with lust? Jesus. Who was it that didn't judge? Jesus. Who, you know, you start going down that list mm-hmm. of things and saying, who did this? The answer to every one of them is the same. It's not Sam. It's not Mark. <laughs> It's Jesus. You know, it's neither one of the guys you hear talking to you today. It's Jesus. And so he kept all those things and he fulfilled all those things. And then he extends his righteousness to us. But having said that, the fact is that that process of being called to him, being saved by him, you know, receiving him into your life and putting him on the throne in your life, taking yourself off. We talk about this all the time, you know, dying to yourself, kicking yourself Mm -hmm. off the throne and putting Jesus on that throne. That's going to produce a change in you. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, 
If it doesn't touch you at all, if there's no part of you that says, I get it, guys, I understand what you're talking about. This is a time for you to examine yourself. It's a time mm-hmm. for you to check your heart. Um, and that's where we are with this sermon today, I think. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a truth that you, and it, it works, and you see it throughout history in different civilizations. Civilizations tend to mirror that which they worship. And so you see it with kids. If they watch it, I used to use this illustration all the time with my students. But if I sat my boys down tonight and we watched The Karate Kid, at -hmm. the end of the movie, they're doing kicks and crane kicks. If I I show Nathan Superman, he wants to put the bath towel around his neck like a cape and fly around the house. Why? Because they look at these figures and they go, man, that's amazing. That's beautiful. I want to be like that. If... If you see Jesus as he truly is, it's like last week we talked about, you know, if you see the treasure, you know, right. you're willing to give up all your own treasure because that's so precious. If Likewise, if you see Jesus as he truly is, he's so beautiful, he is so awesome, he is so above everything that this world has to offer, by, by instinct you want to become more like him. Right. You know, you, you just you can't help it. You give yourself over to become more like him because you love him. Right. And that's the idea. You're reflecting his righteousness. So I gotta ask you about this, you know, Nathan with the Superman thing. <laughs> Do you rig it up with the quick release? Because if you don't when I was a kid, when I was like six, seven, eight years old, I used to do the same thing. Superman, cape, tie it around my neck, and off I would go. But I would tie it nice and tight, Sam. I'd bring that baby. I didn't want it to fall off while I was running, right? So I'd give it the old double knot. Yeah, and that worked great until I caught the cape on the branches of a hedge near our house, and I almost decapitated myself. (laughs) And after that, Mom made sure that I held it with a clothespin so we had the quick release, so that if the the cape got caught up, I didn't choke myself to death. So my advice to you Superman cape wearers, if you're like 45 (laughs) years old and you're still running around with the cape on, be sure to rig that thing up around your neck with some kind of quick release because – it could get hung up. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It could get hung up. We're we're of the Jeff Foxworthy school of parenting. Let him pull the TV on his head a few times. He'll learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way it was with me too. You know, it's like, all right, tie that thing around your neck. See how that works out for you. you know? Okay. I like the clothespin <laughs> idea better, Mom. Yeah, yeah. That was, that's, that was, that's that was an improvement. Better. So let's go ahead and read the uh, the this parable, and then we can kind of go through what he's saying and what he's not saying. Um, this starting in verse 24, it reads, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the first thing that Jesus is telling us is that if you hear his words and you do them, you are like a wise man. You know, you're making good decisions. You're making a, you're making a good choice here. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I did a little research or a little reading about builders back in the time and in that area. Um, and the the territory in that area was known for, uh, it was kind of hard-baked land, you know, especially uh, mm-hmm. a lot of sun, a lot of, you know, temperature beating down on it. And so the ground would become very hard-packed and it would feel like it was very stable and strong. But in fact, it was only a very thin crust. Like it was, it was hard-packed, baked, sand on the top that gave you the illusion that this ground is firm. This ground is solid. You can do what you want on this ground until you do something like build a house on it, which is heavy. And then you would, you would do something where then the ground would begin to crack and the house begins to shift and it falls down when the storm Mm -hmm. comes. But if you were wise, if you were smart, you knew that if you were a builder of houses, they knew that. And so they would either choose to locate that house on an area where it really was rock and not just hard sand, or in some cases, they would break through that layer of sand and then they would dig down until they reached bedrock. And there's evidence of some houses that had footers and foundations that went down as much as 10 feet 
before they could find the bedrock. So mm-hmm. there was a, a sense in which the people who who built their house on the sand didn't really realize that they were making a bad choice. Like if you built your own house, but if you were a builder, if you're a, if you're a wise man, and especially if you're a, a professional builder, um, you kind of knew what was going on. And so that's the, the picture that he's calling to mind here. And the people who heard him say that, who lived in that area at that time, we would assume would be nodding their heads and going, yep, yep, I saw Bob's house mm. fall down. <laughs> yeah. I understand. I know what he's getting at here. Um, yeah, there's other places where Jesus talks about structures collapsing, like when he talks in, um, in Luke's gospel, at chapter 13, he talks about the Tower of Siloam fell and killed 18 people. And he doesn't give us the reason why it fell, but this is that kind of stuff is very much in the minds of these people. Structural collapses were not an uncommon thing in those days. Yeah, there was a... a something from the Old Testament that I pulled in this week as part of our personal worship study notes from Ezekiel chapter 13. Um, here God is speaking through Ezekiel saying, precisely because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets, meaning these false prophets, mm-hmm. smear it with whitewash. It's like they cover it up so you can't see the true yeah. nature of the wall. Plaster, yeah. Yeah. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? You know, so he says, (laughs) therefore says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger. And I will break down this wall that you've smeared with whitewash and bring it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. And in this case, Ezekiel's addressing false prophets, but the idea being that they smeared a plaster whitewash mm-hmm. on a wall that wasn't built properly to make it look good, but mm-hmm. its foundation wasn't good. And the Lord says, I'm going to test this with a storm. And when that happens, it's going to fall on top of you and you're going to know I am the Lord. Yeah. Um, so, so it's really easy to be tricked by this. So whether you know, you're talking about the two builders and you're looking at hard ground because of the sun baking it all day, it's easy to think, man, I'm building on really solid ground. There's a, there's a deception to it with, right. that Jesus is pulling out. And the same with this wall. I remember – so my parents live up in Vero Beach and there's a community that's just to the east of us and it's a nice you know, gated community. And they have these walls that look really nice. And then there was a hurricane that came through, and these walls were blown all over the place. And it was like, you know, when you look at it, you just assume that it's made of something really sturdy, concrete or cinder blocks or something like that. These things were (laughs) – these sections of the wall were blown all over the neighborhood because they had been like, I don't know, foam or like styrofoamish kind of material that had just been plastered over that gave the appearance of something strong that's going to block intruders and wind and cars. But man, when the wind came, they were everywhere. That's yeah. the first thing that came into my mind when you were telling that story. Yeah, I, no substance to them. I've seen that sort of thing. There was a. It didn't happen often, but it saved a little money on construction if all you did was frame something out, put a little insulation in it, some chicken wire and stucco. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, guess what? A a decent hammer thrown in anger can go right through that wall. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and so the Lord here is giving us a message, which is just saying that a storm will come. You know, I mean, there is a judgment that's coming at some point that your house will either stand up to it or it won't. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you're going to be in one camp or the other. And it's, it's for you to take a look at and decide which camp you're in. And so, you know, as I was reading this and thinking about it for personal worship this week, one of the things that I wanted people to think about as they're as they're studying through this passage and and thinking about the parable is that we may not understand whether or not we've built our house on actual rock or just hard packed sand. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we can ask ourselves is are we doing his word? Are we keeping his commandments? You know, let's, there's something that we can measure. It's something we can measure right now. We don't have to wait for the storm to come. We can ask ourselves right now, are we doing his words? Are we putting them into practice? Are we keeping his commandments? Mm -hmm. Um, that's something diagnostically. 
that we can look at in our own life now. And if the answer to that question is no, I really wouldn't say that I was. Then my question back to that is maybe you'd better look and see where you've built your house. Mm-hmm. And and even I'd, I'd go a little bit even before that where I used to share this. It's probably inappropriate, but I used to share this with my, <laughs> my high school students. It's probably inappropriate, <laughs> but let me tell you about it anyways. <laughs> well – but what I would say is when we would go through that section in Matthew 7 where Jesus is talking about people who came and said, Lord, Lord, look at all this stuff we did for sure. you. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. As I used to tell my high schoolers, I'd say, you know, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine that in the space of me talking right now, a plane landed on the school and killed all of us. And now in an instant, you are transported and your soul is standing before the Lord And he looks at you and says, depart from me. I never knew you. How would you hear that? And right now you're responding. Your your instincts are responding in one of two directions. You're either saying, how in the world could you say that to me? I love you. I, I enjoy spending time with you. I love your word. I love living for you. I love your kingdom like you you excite me, you enthrall me, I, I want more of you. How could you say you never knew me? And you'd be shocked to hear those words because the Lord is precious to you. Or you would go, he knows. He's not fooled. Yeah. I never sought him. I've never loved him. Yeah, I put on the show and I went to church and I did all these things, but I don't have a relationship with him. He, I've never gotten to know him. Like that reveals you. And so so are you building on the rock, you know? And like you're talking about, if you know him, if you really know him and he's the most precious thing to you, you're going to build for him. And the way that you build is going to look a lot like what he's teaching. Not perfect, but it's going to look a lot like it. And so these, like these parables are really helpful diagnostic tools. And, he, you know, it's like, What's the answer if you're going, oh, my goodness, I, I don't think that's me. Well, guess what the answer is? Guess what the solution is? Grab hold of him. Yeah. Those who seek him, he will not turn away. You know, he, he's laid down his life for you. And so the, the, the solution is grab hold of him, love him, seek him, recognize what it is he's done for you and the immensity of his love and his grace and his mercy toward you. And grab him, and the more that you learn about him, and the more that you see how amazing he is, it makes everything want to yield to him because he's so good. And guess what? Then you'll begin to do the works that he calls you to. Right, right. Well, and when we were talking about the parable of the sower, which I think was two weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that um, that the the seed that was received into the good soil, which it was somebody that hears and understands the word of the kingdom and that it would create, it would grow deep roots. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot of that same symbolism here where it talks about building on the rock. And, and I especially like it because there is a parallel parable to this one. Um, this one is following the Sermon on the Mount that Matthew writes about. In Luke, uh, Luke records the Sermon on the Plain, which is a, a similar sermon. It uh, has some of the same material in it, which tells me that Jesus was a true preacher because he <laughs> preached some of the same stuff in different locations. True story. True story. True story. True story. <laughs> uh, but he also, not only that, but he closed his sermon out with the same illustrations, the same parables. Um, so, and in that one, in the Luke's record of it, it's just slightly different. Jesus says that the, that the wise man digs down until he finds the rock, whereas the foolish man just lets his house sit on the surface of it. Doesn't, he doesn't dig down and, and make any, any footers, any foundation for it. And when I was thinking about the Luke version of this, I thought, wow, that really sounds like a plant that's able to grow roots. Um, this yeah. idea of digging down until you find the rock. Um, so this idea that, that really what Jesus is asking us to do here is to consider our roots, you know, do our roots go down into him? Mm-hmm. Are we, are we, you know, are we rooted in him? I, th- I thought about, um, uh, the passage in Colossians where Paul says, uh, 
you know, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established mm-hmm. in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There's so many places in the New Testament where Jesus was taught, and Paul, and all the apostles, right? this idea of being on the good foundation and being rooted mm-hmm. and everything else. This isn't about how do you build your house? This is about mm-hmm. where and on what do we build? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing because it's huge. It, because if you looked at the two houses before the storm came, they would look pretty much the same. There's nothing mm-hmm. in this parable that tells us one house looked awfully sloppy. You know, that foolish <laughs> builder man, his stuff, his staircases didn't line up, and he looked like he built it out of tissue paper. He doesn't say that. There's nothing here that indicates to us that that either builder did anything different in the building of the house itself. It's what was the house built upon. And so that's the thing that we come back to today to say this is really a question to us of where's the foundation? Yeah, and 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 so this doing the word and keeping his commandments and things like that, that's what that's our diagnostic question to ourselves, but it all starts with what is your foundation? Mhm. And there's, you know, this is something that I've, I've heard so many wonderful sermons throughout my life that talk about every single person has a master. And there's a lot of people who say, I'm not, I don't have a master. You know, I yes, would call my master you do. the Lord. But <laughs> everyone has a master. They have that thing that gives them joy, or if they lose it, devastates them. Like there's something that you're constantly chasing, and that's your foundation. That is, that's what you're building your life on. And it can be good things, by the way. You, you could want to build your entire foundation on your family. Mm-hmm. And if that's your ultimate foundation, guess what? Someone in your family is going to die first. You're going to lose your, your wife or your husband, your kids. Well, somebody's going first. And at the end of the day, your family can't save you. Your family can't give you fulfillment. You can't control how your family goes. All of that. Everything is shifting sands. You don't know what's going to happen. And so even good things, the pursuit of, of ministry, the pursuit you know, family, all of those are wonderful, but they need to be built on the foundation. Otherwise, everything built upon them will crumble when they begin to inevitably fall apart yeah. or perish or whatever. Like it's it's like you will love your family so much better if you're building first on the foundation of Christ. Sure. Your relationships will be healthier. Your business ethics will be better. Your your hope, your joy, your moods, all of that stuff. You'll be better well-adjusted to, to handle the storms of life, which are inevitable, if you're building on a foundation of Christ. Because if you're building on any other foundation, everything else crumbles. One of my favorite passages, which also brings up the subject of building, um, shouldn't surprise anybody to know that I went to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> He's my go-to guy. Um, but he is somebody, I think, who makes this callback, makes this connection. Uh, mm-hmm. When he was writing to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, this is a really well-known passage to some of you. Some of you may be the first time you've heard it, but Paul starts off right here and he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, and by the way, the Greek word skilled there, that they translate skilled in the ESV, um, equally means wise, skilled and wise. That that verse, that word is translated equally much either way. So mm-hmm. Paul is, if you look in some other translations, it says wise master builder, skilled master builder. I personally think whatever that Paul was trying to say, I'm connecting back. I want you to know I'm, I'm doing the wise building thing. I'm building wisely. So he says, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Answers the question right there. Who's the rock? Where's the foundation? What what are we talking about building on? Well, we're talking about building on Jesus Christ. We're talking, he's the foundation. He's the rock. So verse 12, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will de- disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Paul talking about that future day of judgment, when we stand before Jesus in that, in that day of judgment, and 
the things that we have built upon that foundation of him, they'll be examined. They're going to be tested. And we've talked about this before, but one of the things that I love is to point out that the first three of those, gold, silver, and precious stones, are all things that are formed or purified by heat and pressure. They are made better. When fire touches them, if you want to, if you're going to purify the gold and get the impurities out of it, the silver, you're going to heat it up. You're going to make it very, very hot and you're going to, and then the, the, you can skim the impurities off or they'll burn off. You can't even make a precious stone unless you have heat and pressure on it. But wood, hay and straw, when they're exposed to that heat and pressure, they disappear. So there's three things there that are eternal. There are three things there that are, you know, so if you're trying to understand what the six examples are, well, three of them are talking about things that when they're exposed to the fire, that judgment, that examination, they become even better. Why? Because they're eternal. Gold isn't going anywhere. Silver's not going anywhere. Precious stones aren't going anywhere. Wood, hay, and straw, well, those are things that are that are temporary. Those are things that are that are meaningless. They're not for that eternal value. Right, And it says in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So I think Paul here, Sam, is connecting to this idea of building on the foundation. Mm -hmm. And he's giving us an understanding of how a believer then can look at that because there is a judgment that's coming for all believers, Jesus says this elsewhere. There's other places where he says, I'm going to give to you, you know, what's been done, whether good or bad, talking about believers. This is mm-hmm. not the question anymore of will we enter the kingdom of heaven? But the things that we build on the foundation are going to be examined by fire, by Jesus and tested, and that there's a reward waiting for people that build things of an eternal nature. So mm-hmm. a wise builder is going to be focused on building those things that are going to last. Mm-hmm. So so when you're looking at uh, faith and works, it's like 1 Corinthians 3 and the parable that Jesus is preaching is saying, okay, where you build is the most important question because in 1 Corinthians 3, even the people who built with wood, hay, and stubble, but they built on the foundation, still get to go to heaven. Right. You know, they, they but escaping through the flames, right? So it's where they built that determined their salvation, it's how they built that then determines, you know, reward maybe, whether or not things have eternal meaning after that. There's this great line that I've mentioned before, only one life, twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the idea that when you show up, if you've built this life with gold and silver and precious stones, you know, when you get to heaven, there's great reward for all the ways that you have suffered and right. you've been willing to endure loss for the sake of the kingdom. But if you're on the foundation and you're building with garbage, you know, if you're on the foundation, you're still his. Right. But everything you've lived for becomes wasted. Yeah. Which is tragic. Yes. Well, and I mean, that's the. Uh one of the related verses on that particular day that I put in was Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12, where it reads, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's good news. (laughs) (laughs) For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Anybody who wants to tell me that in the Old Testament it was salvation by works. That in the Old Testament yeah. that we did not, they did not understand that it was God who takes away their sin. I, I'm sorry, uh, David got the point. <laughs> there it is, right in Psalms. You know, uh, it's like He has removed our transgressions from us. We don't work them away. He's taken care of that. Yeah. So the foundation I'm, is Christ. I'm, I'm convulsing, trying not to go into Old Testament examples of grace alone salvation. Yeah. I I know. It is all over. Christ is the golden thread that works its way through the entirety of the Bible from Genesis all the way through the end. Yeah. Well, and that's, I just happen to like as far as the East is from the West. Uh, That's that, that kind of language that's used in the Psalms is so powerful because what does it mean when I say as far as the East is from the West? What it's saying is that these two things never meet again. 
If you if you start off heading east and I start off heading west and you keep going east and I keep going west, well, if we're if we're going on around the world, <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying they move in opposite directions and they and it's it's a plane and they never come back together. Mm-hmm. Your transgressions don't come back to you. Right. He has removed them from you and they are gone forever. We're not going to be judged based upon our sins. Those have been taken away. Jesus has settled that question. It's gone. There is a judgment that's coming which will test how we've built. You know, and that's another thing too. Um, I've been asked a few times by people, Mark, what do you think that that means? That does that mean when we talk about reward, are some of us going to be rich in heaven and some going to be poor in heaven? And what I've said is, first of all, anybody that gets into heaven is rich. Let's just start there. Ground mm-hmm. zero. You get into heaven, you're rich. Um, I said, I don't know so much that this is like, okay, Sam, look at this, man. You got, you have half a pound of gold, two tons of silver, and three diamonds. All right. Well, here's your, your mansion has five rooms in it. And, you know, Mark, you didn't do quite as much. Your mansion's only got four rooms in it. Um, you know, it's not, I don't even, I don't think it's like that. I think that what this is talking about here is that as we stand and see that the things that we've done, the people that we've invested in, the gospel that we've shared, the word that we've shared, the lives that we've built up and built into, that when we see that manifest itself at that day of judgment, that the reward that we're going to to have is is just that, is seeing the things that we have done there with us in that I don't think it means we're going to get more stuff. I don't think God's going to reward us in some financial way or some concrete way because that to me is that's not the point of heaven. You know, it's like if you're there, you're already as rich as you need to be. But I do think there's a sense in which we will be we will find it rewarding to see the eternal results of the things that we've done in our lives. And that's why in Matthew 6, Jesus is is telling you, do not build, don't store up treasures down here because they're all going to fade away. It's, you know, moth and rust and decay, take care of all of it, but build up those treasures in heaven because those will still be there. Mm -hmm. When you get there, you're going to get a chance to see what you have done and how that matters to his kingdom and to the people that are part of it. So, you know, I've never felt like it was something that, like it was a reward and sort of a competitive thing. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, I want to have a crown and a half, and Sam only gets a crown. Um, it, it's nothing <laughs> like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think there's even a place in Revelation where it talks about essentially we throw our crowns at his feet. It's like mm-hmm. whatever we have, if you're understanding that moment correctly, that moment where he says, why should I let you into heaven? You're like, hey, it's all you, Lord. It's all you. You should, you know, the only yeah. reason I'm here is because you've made it possible for me to be here. Yeah, Paul talks about how he's endured and been faithful running the race to give it all for Christ. And he talks about how there's a crown of righteousness uh, that has been laid up for him that will be awarded to him on that day. And so, like, you can tell Paul's not going, all right, you know, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, bring me the money. You know? <laughs> you know, the, he's looking for a crown of righteousness. He's looking for the smile of the Lord because he knows that's the great treasure. Um, and when you get to heaven, by the way, like, <laughs> material things will be the least of your treasures. You yes. know, you're going to experience the infinite God with all of his attributes sharing himself with you and growing you for all of eternity and you will in ever increasing measure become more and more like him filled with all of his goodness and the way he pours in and that is treasure and even if you are even if you are awarded actual treasure in heaven there's no envy there's no injustice so it's not like we're going to be going oh man (laughs) mark got more than me like that won't be in us anymore, thankfully. Like injustice is gone. I'll be thrilled for you if that's the case. Well, and I'm also sure that there's not going to be a place that I can go spend it. It's not like I can. It's not <laughs> like I can pull up in front of your mansion in my Lamborghini and go, Sam, let's go for a ride. Like my new Aventador. Yeah, that kind of. Hey, maybe. Yeah, well, hey. I don't know. You know, the, work uh, in heaven. I. I, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the the economy is based on, but yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I don't know either. I, I have a tendency to say that anything that's going to be comparative, where we're comparing ourselves to each other, will not be a part of it. 
uh, because when we're in heaven, there's only one thing that we're going to see, and that is we're yeah. going to see how glorious God is, how glorious Christ right. is. You know, it's like you get to see that finally. You get to see it with your eyes. You'll get to actually see his glory. Uh, it, it's something we couldn't do now in, in yeah. our body with our physical eyes, with our limited, with our limited abilities, our limited senses. It, we, it, when Isaiah saw it, he's like, I am undone. I'm coming apart at the molecular level. Lord, I'm, you know, <laughs> and if God hadn't saved him at that point, he probably would have. Uh, woe is me, Isaiah said. So yeah. I believe that, you know, there, but, it, but there is that time when, when we are unshackled from these physical realms, when we're, when we're able to see it clearly, that's going to be the only thing that we'll be comparing anything to. We'll be just seeing how great the, the goodness and the glory of God is. At least yeah, that's what I believe. That's my, my, perhaps it's my simplistic view of heaven, but I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of comparing going on. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't think envy will be there, period. Yeah. yeah. Um, regardless of whether there's differences or not, like you just, you, you, there wouldn't be envy. You're yeah. going, your focus is going to be on the Lord. One of my favorite things as a pastor, when I get to do weddings and I'm standing up there with the, the groom, right? And we're waiting for the bride to come around the corner and, you know, you're interested to see what her dress is like and how she's made up her hair and what the reaction of the groom is going to be. But my my very favorite moment, especially with couples that I have really enjoyed doing premarital counseling with, is when the bride comes around the corner. My, if you ever watch me do a wedding, you'll notice, like, my eyes are darting back and forth from the bride to the groom because I love seeing if they're going to break and cry with joy. Um and most of the time they do. You'll look at the the groom and his eyes are glistening and you look at the bride and she's trying to fight back tears because they are so overjoyed at this moment where they get to spend the rest of their life with each other. And, you know, when we think of heaven, you know, this this great treasure, which is him, by the way. It's not golden streets and crystal seas and all that. It's him. He's the source of all of it. Um, but to imagine, like, that's a small glimpse of his response to us like he refers to the church as his bride that he's given everything for he's overjoyed by the thought of welcoming us up there so i would imagine if you could see the face of god in absolute delight thrilled with what he has purchased when he sees your beauty made perfect in his righteousness on that day and you got to see the the smile of God and how intense his love is toward you. Every other treasure that you've ever thought about in that moment would look like garbage. And here's the reality. That's his disposition toward you right now. Mm -hmm. um, we have that. It's mind-blowing, the, 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 the intensity of the love he has for us. And if we walked around, you know, <laughs> believing that and making, like just being overwhelmed, amazed that we get to build our life on that hope, on that foundation, man, it would put everything else into perspective to allow this life to be so much more joyful and meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Each of the, of the writers of Scripture, the author of the New Testament, have uh, different approaches to different things that are that are special or unique or identifying about them. Luke is the guy you go to if you want, you know, like all the if you want to see how it's going to be explained to the Gentile world. You know, mm -hmm. Luke was writing to Theophilus, this person who was a Gentile, and so a lot of Luke's writing is put in a way so that Theophilus will understand it. Um, and so that's kind of cool because there's a certain aspect to his writing that's different. But if you, if you look at Matthew, for example, we know that Matthew was writing mostly to Jews. So Matthew kind of has that Jewish spin on everything. Paul, just cracks me up that they chose the tax collector to do that. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> the Jews hated tax collectors. That's true. Hey, Matthew, we've got an audience for you. Yeah, anyway. here you go. You handle, you write to our, our people. <laughs> Um, and Paul, you know, Paul was educated as a Pharisee, as a lawyer, basically, of the time, a legal expert. And so Paul is somebody who tends to write everything. He, like, explains everything like a lawyer. Everything is a systematic theology textbook with Paul. He's like, you know, we've talked about this when we were studying Ephesians together and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Paul lays out the doctrine, 
and then at some point stops and goes, okay, now this is how you live. And it's, it's all, he lays the foundation of knowledge and doctrine, and then he comes in and gives you the application. Mm-hmm. Well, John has a unique flavor to his book also. John referred to himself in his own gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mm-hmm. For John, Jesus was all about love. It was a question of who did Jesus love and do you love Jesus? It, John is the guy that, that's how he saw the world. That's how he saw Jesus, and it's how he saw the world. He saw Jesus as, I love him with everything I have, and I know that he loves me. And so everything about the relationship between John and Jesus was about love. And that's the question that John was going to ask you more than anything else was, do you love him? And I love the the, the center part especially of the, of the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, 13 and 14, are great because there's a lot of verse, a lot of great verses in there in which Jesus is talking and he's talking to the disciples. Um, and he's explaining these things like John 14, 15, where he says, if Jesus is speaking, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Uh, in verses 23 and 24 of chapter 14, Jesus is answering a question at that point. He says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. And then when he was writing his letter to the, his epistle to the church, John wrote three of them. And in first John chapter five, verses two and three, John wrote, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that mm-hmm. we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So John is, is, is really making the connection there between love and keeping his commandments, doing his word, putting it into, mm-hmm. print, putting it into practice. And I do think that that is something that, you know, we tend to get really caught up in this aspect of, well, what does he want me to do? How much does he want me to do? When do I know that I've done enough? And John is trying to let you know, don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Just love him. Let your love for him guide you and lead you into keeping his commandments. You, mm-hmm. I think it was last week that you were talking about something where your father-in-law said the problem isn't yeah. that you don't do enough, it's that you don't love enough. Yeah, stop trying and start loving. I mean, right. He said the solution is not trying harder, it's loving more. Right. And I think that's what John would say too, don't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. You know, there, there's a line, and this also comes from John, but I, I love this, where Jesus – you know, he's just done the miracle of feeding the 5,000. This is in John 6, starting at verse 27. But he's just done the work, and he, he's fed the crowds, and they're following him around. And he's like, man, you're not following me because of me and the signs and because you think I'm the Messiah and God and you're looking to surrender to me. You're doing it because you want more food. And then he says this. He says, do not work for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life, which is which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And so they're like, okay, well, we got a question then. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Like, okay, you're, you're saying don't work for food that perishes, but work for food that goes on forever. And they said, okay, show us the works. Give us the checklist. Right. And his answer is, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And and that's that's it. That's it. You know, if you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you find your satisfaction in him and your value, and he's he is the source of your truth and everything else, because you're just surrendered in belief to him, all the rest. It's like what what you were just saying. Everything else, the works will come when right. you believe in him. When you truly, by faith, grab hold of him and and hold him up as the foundation of your life, the works come. Right. Slowly sometimes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. But they come. The work is believing. Right. Believe. Right. You know, and of course, again, being a uh, good Calvinist, I love, the, I love the fact that there's a little bit of a play on words there, too, in that particular verse. You know, I picture them, you know, they've got their parchment out. They've got their quills dipped in the ink. They're ready to go. <laughs> and they're like, okay, 
We're ready, Jesus. Give it to us. We are list makers and rule keepers. We understand how this goes. What do we have to do that we might work the works, plural, mm-hmm. of God? And Jesus said, this is the work, singular, of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. I love the fact that he kind of turns it around here. And he's like, no, no, no. It's not about a bunch of things to be done. It's about one thing. Mm-hmm. It's about believing in him. And, you know, if, if you're, if you were going to say, Hey, you know, I'm a little worried about kind of, I don't know where I am. You know, it's like, I'm, I don't, am I doing the right things? Am I doing enough? I'd better call Pastor Sam and make an appointment to drop by his office. And I, I'm pretty sure, and we'll have, we'll ask him here in a second, but I'm pretty sure that what Pastor Sam is going to talk to you about is, do you know how much Jesus loved you? And let's talk about how much you love him. Mm-hmm. And that will take I, care of the works question. Yeah, it goes back to last week's parables. If you see the treasure, <laughs> if you really understand the treasure that's being offered before you, man, it's not so hard to let go of all the other trash that's enslaving yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and that's the. But you won't get there if you're if you're unwilling to see the treasure. You, you, why would you let go of the treasure that you have in your hands? No. You know, that you already have. Why would you go build <laughs> on the rock if you don't see that that's going to be far more beneficial for you in the long run? Like, so you have to see Jesus as precious. You have to see him as the treasure. And then everything gets flipped around. So, yeah, love him more, period. Yeah. And and that will take care of the works. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, you know. You know, it, and what that – so it's it, it kind of a – a fusion of all these different parables that we talk about. But when I used to do my lesson on the Ten Commandments with my high school students, I would say, okay, essentially every sin that you can come up with is going to hang on one of these ten branches of this commandment. So, I mean, you think of a sin, and it's violating one of them for mm-hmm. sure. And I said, you know, what we tend to do when, when we think, you know, I'm not, I want to be a good Christian – is we sit there and we look at this tree with its 10 branches and we're waiting for bad fruit to come up. You know, oh, I've got a, an addiction over here and I, it keeps, you know, bearing bad fruit. So I'm just going to pluck it. Every time it comes up, I'm just going to grab it and I'm going to pluck it. No, oh, oh, on this branch, there's some sin. And on this branch, there's some sin. And we wear ourselves out plucking fruit. And the, the answer that Jesus gives us is, you know, the, the branches are not the problem. It's the root system. And so you've got to dig up the root system because Sam is a selfish sinner and I have a sinful nature and I've got to be dug up because I'm on the sand and I've got to be I've got to let him replant. I need all new roots so that he can grow the fruit. But that's the idea. You've got to die to self. You've you've got to to say he is more important than me. His will is more important than mine. His kingdom is more important than mine. His name is more important than mine. And when you transplant the roots because you find him so beautiful, you'll bear good fruit. Yeah. But if you sit there and do the exhausting work of, I've got to get better, make a list, keep plucking the bad fruit, I mean, you'll wear yourself out and the, the bad fruit will just keep coming. you got to change the roots. That's one of the things that um, I always sort of liked about this idea of – the illustration of the vines and the branches was this this feeling that, um, you know, when Jesus talks about I'm the true vine, this is John 15, and my father's the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. And he just talks about abide in me and I in you. The, the nourishment, the life comes through the vine, through his roots into us, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it talks about – there's other places where it talks about being grafted in, that we're branches that are grafted in. You know, it's like we – like you say, our roots – we get our roots dug up that are corrupt and then we're grafted into him. It's like we, we get our nourishment, our life then comes from him. Um, I've always found that an interesting word picture, you know, this idea mm-hmm. that that the that if the life that is flowing through us is the life that's coming from the vine, that we are a branch grafted into the vine that is Jesus, then his life comes through us and then that's what brings out the right kind of fruit. So we shouldn't be concerned about the fruit, we should be concerned about where we're grafted in, you know. Mm-hmm. That that sort of picture. 
And that's that's always the case. Because otherwise, if you're trying to do this in your own strength, man, religion will be absolutely exhausting. If you if you have you know just a whole bunch of stuff that you've got to do to earn God's favor, I can guarantee you eventually your religion will feel like slavery, you'll resent it, and you'll walk away because you can't possibly do it on your own. Yeah. You can't. You're set up for failure. I, I've tried it. I've been there. <laughs> I've done that. But when you find you know, that you're, you have security in the Lord, like right, he doesn't look at you and say, okay, well, if you keep all these rules, I'll keep you around. You have a, a God who, before you could do anything to earn his favor, gave his life, died on a cross, to make sure that you're secure, to give you the gift of salvation entirely because he's good enough, not because you're good enough. And now the journey for the rest of your life is just to love him more. And as you love him more, guess what? Your life all of a sudden begins to be transformed, maybe slowly, but surely you're going to struggle. You're going to say, man, like he's more precious than this sin. He's more precious than this addiction. He's more precious than, you know, whatever. And slowly your heart begins to yield and surrender to that which is most precious to you. Right. Right. Um, you know, John 15 also has one of my favorite lines in it where Jesus is talking and he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Um, you know, when we get caught up in the fruit bearing, you know, we should remember that he chose us to do that. You know, that's, that's, that's his work in us always. So, well, sir, I think that, uh, that that's a good word and it's one that we should end on. You know, it's, uh, I hope that everybody understands that these parables are not there to intimidate us or to, or to worry us or scare us in any regard, but that they're there to encourage us. I think, um, you know, when I, when I find myself considering the meaning of these things, um, you know, it, it just, it, it comes back to that question of, do I understand what he's done for me mm-hmm. and how does that make me feel toward him? Yeah. I think they're, I think they're there to diagnose your heart. Yeah. And you know, if, if these parables shake you, if they rock you, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing because on the other side of that parable is a God who's got his arms wide open. It's, it's right. never too late. And if you're somebody who says, man, I feel really uneasy after listening to that. I'm not sure that I do love him. I'm not sure that I do have surrendered to him. Guess what? He's right there, right. arms wide open, calling you to him, saying, build your life upon this rock. That's something that they should take encouragement from because if Absolutely. you become aware, if that's like if, if like when Sam's talking there, it's like if you are in that position of saying, I'm not sure I love him enough, well, why do you think you have that thought even? That's God's spirit stirring you up. You know, there's things that are going on there. There's there's spiritual activity there. And absolutely, you know, talk with one of us. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about what he's done for you. Um, I, I think that these are – don't look at these as judgments. Look at them as opportunities, you know. If we're still here and we're aware and we feel God stirring that up in us, this is an opportunity for you to come to him and to get to know him better. And understand what he's done for you. So, all right. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, that it's been profitable for you. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying this series on the parables. Uh, I know that we have. Uh, even these short parables, somehow, uh, <laughs> Pastor Sam and Big Mouth Long Talker here, we seem to be able to find an hour's worth of things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> concerning them each week. Uh, so I hope that that's been useful for you. Uh, if you'd like to correspond with us to ask a question or make some comment about what you've heard us say, uh, we have an email address set up that's out of water at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O Vista Church dot com, where you can also find all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com slash out of water. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And if I can have one moment to just run one more quick commercial. Now, you're going to hear this episode 
after the first night of it, but uh, you will. It, there's still time uh, Wednesday nights for the next few weeks. Pastor Sam's going to be doing his Truth on Earth class, archaeology and the Bible. Some really cool and amazing things uh, about how the field of archaeology continues to show us that the Bible is reliable and accurate. That it's not making stories up. It's not a storybook. It's an actual historical record. Um, really, very very cool things. Again, this podcast will be out on Friday. You will have missed the first Wednesday, but it's will be available uh, on our website, on our live stream, Facebook page, YouTube uh, channel uh, on Wednesday nights at uh, 6.30 Eastern Time. We're going to have that. Um, and I think, Sam, you're also going to be doing a recording of it later, right, to add yeah, so to the, the digital is, library? Is that the real? So, so the plan is our digital library. I'll sit down with, with Grant in the coming weeks and months and do little snippets of each individual biblical story, you know, major story. And talk about the new evidence that's coming out for it, so that it's something that's that's produced and shareable. Because some of the stuff is really cool, and it's the reason why you haven't heard about it is it's all starting to come together in the last twenty to thirty years. Just an overwhelming amount of discoveries that are that are really making skeptics rethink some things. Well, and it's, I think it's fair to say that for that there has been a time in this world when that was one of the things they threw up at the Bible to say this is why you should don't. Don't take what the Bible says seriously because, look, the Bible says that this civilization attacked that group of people, This and none of these things are true. We can't find any record of them, and now archaeology has gone on and substantiated you know, one after another after – and not just one or two, but like – it's like it's a constant march where they keep mm-hmm. discovering that, wow, this happened just when and where the Bible said that it did. Yeah. Um, so I've, maybe, I've gotten into a discipline every once in a while of Google News – doing a search and just saying, you know, archaeology, Bible, and and sure enough, it's about once every week or once every other week, there's some major new discovery. It's it's a lot of fun. It's to the point now where I haven't heard anybody even say for some time that, oh, the Bible's just a storybook. You know, it's, it's not, there's not real history that happened in the Old Testament. Uh, no, no, in fact, it is. So we invite you to Truth Unearthed. Um, there will be some, like Sam says, some shareable like subsets of it. But if you want the entire class, um, that's going to be available on our live stream. Or if you are here in Fort Lauderdale, it's going to be live in our worship center at Rio Vista Community Church. And you can find that at our website, riovistachurch.com. The uh, address and directions to the worship center. We'd love to see you on a Wednesday night. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be eight weeks, right? So it's, it, it, there's nine sessions, but nine they're not sessions. all consecutive. There's a there's a break for some of the Easter stuff that comes. Okay, um, but you can look at that at riovistachurch.com forward slash truth unearthed, and it will give you the schedule so you can make arrangements to be there. Very cool. Well, folks, we'll be back next week with another from the series. He gave us stories, another parable of Jesus, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.